0: John 14, 1 to 6, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Father, we thank you for your word, for the absolute truths that are in your word, and that we can stand upon the word of God. We can trust it. We can trust in you and know that you never fail. Would you bless us today and by your spirit, would you speak to us and transform our lives through your word today? Or we look to you and Lord, our, our hearts we are still breaking and we lift up the many things that are going on in the world around us, Lord. We pray for this this situation that breaks our hearts in Afghanistan, Lord, and we, we pray for the, those who've lost loved ones, Lord, we pray for the sorrow upon sorrow that's taking place, and Lord, would you show yourself, would you reveal yourself, Lord, would you reveal your plan? We know that you're sovereign, we know that you're good, so Lord, we trust in you, and we pray that today you would lead us by your Spirit. Lord, bring peace to our hearts and minds when there's so much unrest around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning once again. Blessing, as always, to be together and glorifying the Lord together. As, you, as we read there, John 14 is where we pick up today, continuing our study faithfully and speedily. No, I'm just kidding through the gospel of john and you know it's uh as fast as we've been going you know it's been a year uh next uh it's been one year since i took over as pastor next week is one year that we've been in the gospel of john and we're only in chapter 14 and we got a lot longer to go and you know as i've been looking ahead at these next four chapters I i said to my wife yesterday i was like Man, we got to slow down through these next four chapters. There's a lot there that we need to put a lot of attention into. So be prepared. The next four chapters might take us six months. I don't know. As you can see today, we're only doing six verses because there's so much here. In these chapters, as we said, even starting in chapter 13, um, is part of what has been called the upper room discourse. And these words and some of the final things that Jesus has to share with his disciples before going to the cross. And he's talking so much about his time that is coming, that he is going, and and we see it a lot here today, he's going to be with the Father. And as he goes, he has a great plan in store for all of that. But there's so much value in these words the final words before Jesus going to the cross, his final time with the disciples, uh, that he wants to pour into them these great truths that they would remember. If you forget everything else, you know, it's like in the final uh, words of a message that I would give as a pastor. And I say, guys, if you've been sleeping the whole time, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, right? Th- that's what Jesus has got his disciples in the upper room. And he's saying, guys, if you have not been paying attention, I hope you have, but if you have not, listen up. This is very important. And so that's what we're digging into through these chapters in the Gospel of John. Uh, last week, finishing up really with uh, Jesus predicting Peter's denial, identifying his betrayer uh, Judas, and then of course in there he he gives this imperative of love. It is essential that you love one another so that you are known, that you are identified uh, within yourselves, you are identified within the body of Christ, you are identified by God himself, and you are identified by all, by the world around you. They would know that you are my disciples by your love. And now... He gives that saying, you'll be known by your love, and it is so essential that you love in the midst of everything that you're going through, everything that's going on, and now Jesus shifts things a little bit to recognize, perhaps, the trouble, the things that they are facing. In verse one, let not your heart be troubled. He starts out with, right? Let not your heart be troubled. Clearly, they were troubled. That's what Jesus starts with. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, think of all the things that they're going through or have gone through for the last few years, really. As soon as they started following Jesus, things started getting really difficult for them, right? And that can give us, uh, that could disappoint us, but it can also give us great hope because as we walk with Jesus, we have fellowship with him in his suffering. And as they walked with Jesus, Jesus said, hey, drop everything, leave it all behind, come follow me. This is going to be great. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, asked me to follow him. And they follow him, and they're like, they don't have a place to sleep. They have to find food, and there's people coming after them to kill them and to to kill their leader. I mean, there's a lot of things that they have faced that are troubling. And now, more specifically, the things that they're facing get more and more troubling. There's much hostility around them, much unrest, uncertainty, tension all around them, opposition to Jesus, the one who they left everything to follow. There's great opposition. There's, a, there's an attempt, there are many attempts to kill Jesus. Those in power are trying to kill him and they are trying to silence the truth. Jesus keeps talking about his nearing death. That would be troubling to those who were following him. Jesus just told them that one of the 12 would betray him. And Jesus just told them that Peter would deny him. Yeah, I find it interesting that nobody was surprised by that. You guys ever notice that? Like, no, it's not like, no, not Peter. They're like, yeah, definitely Peter. He's probably gonna betray him too. Or is that the connection? They're thinking that's what he meant. Oh, it's Peter, of course. Nobody was surprised by that. Of course, Jesus wasn't surprised because we see that throughout all of these passages that Jesus is surprised by nothing. But there were many things that were troubling to the disciples. And any one of those things would have been really difficult to handle. Put it all together and imagine how troubled the disciples would have been. How about we talk for a moment about some of our current troubles in the world. There's tension all around us, unrest, uncertainty. There's trouble in Afghanistan. There's trouble, always trouble, in Israel. There's trouble, there's disasters taking place. There's trouble in Haiti. There's trouble in America with the disasters. There's trouble in New Jersey with the disasters this week that have taken place. There's flooding, right? There's trouble over COVID still, a year and a half later. There's trouble over vaccines. There's trouble about politics. There's opposition to Jesus. Those who are in power are trying to silence the truth. We likewise have many troubles. Now, I wouldn't say that they compare to what the disciples were going through. But we have trouble. And what we can relate to is that these times are difficult any single one of the things that we may be going through in life. And it, of course, on top of all that, you have your own troubles, right? You have your own maybe financial troubles or you have your own health troubles or your own emotional, relational troubles of all sorts that we face. And Jesus relates to us and he ministers to us in the midst of trouble. And we get to see that and experience that here In John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Any one of these things would be difficult, but put it all together, and they could have devastating effects. But there's good news. Jesus addresses the trouble. First, by telling the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. But we have trouble. What do I do about it? Don't let your heart be troubled. You see, Jesus is bringing this reality to the fact that you need to keep your heart and mind in check. Do not let trouble take root in your heart. You will be troubled, and there are things. Jesus said you will face trials. In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world, right? Trouble is real. Trouble is real but we can prevent it from taking root in our hearts and creating great doubt and great bitterness and and even greater trouble because then we're talking about an eternal trouble. And that's what Jesus wants to warn them of. So let not your heart be troubled. But he doesn't just leave them at that. It's not like when, when I tell my kids, like, hey, stop doing that. Why? Because I said so. Now, Jesus could actually say that, right? He said, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because I said so. Because it's Jesus. That's enough, right? But he doesn't leave them at that. He offers a solution. And he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. There's good news here. He has the solution. Put all of your trust. He's saying, believe in me. Put all of your trust in who I am. What I've shown you, what I've done, and what I've told you. That's what the Gospel of John has been all about, right? The words and works of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You've heard me say it to the Pharisees, to the chief priests. You've heard me demonstrate it. You've heard me show you. You've seen me show you who I am and you've heard me proclaim who I am. So if you believe in God, then you should also believe in me. You can trust me. So in a sense, when when he says, let not your heart be troubled, believe in me, trust me. It's okay, I've got it all under control. And we can take heart as well. These are such great words of comfort In this statement, it's that, you you know what, you may not understand what is going on in the world, but you can and you should trust Jesus. We might be totally lost, and I'll mean, i be the first, I'll raise my hand, I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. I don't have the answers to what's going on in this world. And I've got good news, nobody has the answers, right? Anybody who claims to have the answers, they're lying. So just mark it off, okay, liar. All right, next. You know, anybody who says, I've got it figured out, liar. Don't listen to him. Nobody's got it figured out. But Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled because all you have to do is have trust in Jesus to address the trouble that is going on in your life. The trouble that is going on in your mind, in your heart. We don't have to let it take root in our heart. All of the troubling things are not outside of his control. Again, there is no surprise to Jesus. In all that's going on in the world today, he is not surprised by any of it. He has it all figured out because it's all part of his plan that is under complete control because it's all about salvation. It's all about eternity. That's where he's from. That's where he's going, Heaven. And that's what he tells us. You know why he's got the answer? You know why he is the answer? Because he's been there. Nobody else could say that. Then he goes and he talks about it. My father's house. If you believe in God, you can believe also in me, claiming the same power and authority that the father has. And then he says, now let me tell you about my father's house because I've been there. He brings this validity because he's been there. He's in my father's house. Are many mansions. What he's saying is, we have to change our perspective. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Look up, my father's house. Get your mind off of your trouble, get your mind off of everything that's going on around you, and look up. The Father's house. The Bible tells us, Paul writes, "It set your mind on things above and not on the things of this world. We talked about it a bit last week about Paul, how he addresses so much the thoughts and the mind and the, the things that are going on psychologically and how we need to renew our minds and how we need to set our minds on things above and how we need to not get caught up in the things of this world. Jesus started it. Paul is just continuing the same message And Jesus saying do not let your heart be troubled and then my Father's house, set your mind on the things above. My Father's house, I can tell you about it because I've been there. That's what he's saying. Go beyond your current troubles. Look up and look ahead. The future and the hope of heaven. We spend far too much time and effort looking back and looking around. When we need to be looking up and looking forward to Jesus. We need to look ahead with hope and anticipation of heaven and we need to look up with trust in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But what does Jesus tell us about his father's house, which he is an expert on, he says, there are many mansions. Now, this is not the picture of, the translation here is, is not exact, like, hey, there's just many glorious houses and mansions, like, nothing like we would understand. We can't put an earthly word to the Father's house, right? But many mansions is the best attempt at it. But there's a lot that, that's said there in those simple two words, many mansions, It's something, of course, without doubt, it is something great, something incredible to look forward to. And Jesus is speaking and demonstrating a great confidence in life beyond this earth. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. It's much better than here is where he's starting. My Father's house is better than this house that we don't have. Right? My father's house is better than all the things that we have and experience here in front of us. My father's house is greater even than the temple that has been built, which is the place of worship. My father's house. There are many mansions, and there's lots of room there. There's many. God, the translation really gives us a picture of a God-designed final dwelling and resting place. I would love to stay in the house that God designs. I don't know about you guys. I mean, we might have good ideas and we have to build out the things that we want to, we're like, oh, I've got a great idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna design the most beautiful house or I'm gonna make this great addition onto my house and it's gonna be amazing. And everybody's gonna be like, wow, look at that house. Right, look at my basement, look at my, look at my attic, look at my loft, my garage, whatever. All the things, we're like, look at this, so great. We get the God-designed, engineered, and built house. For so many, now the word many, it's think about what that means. Now we might imagine hosting all of these people in your house, you're like I don't have room for that many people in my house, right? We're like, I gotta limit numbers, right? You have a, maybe you have a wedding, and you're like, we gotta limit numbers because we don't have room for all the people. And that's just the couple hundred people gathered here in this room. Imagine all the people who are gathered today at churches around the world. Now that's not it, there's even more. The word many here is beyond our comprehension. Many mansions or many rooms, many spaces, many places in the Father's house are reserved for those who believe in him and that is not just for us here and now. Imagine how many that is throughout all of history. All the people who have believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who are in those many mansions. The number is is endless. And of course then, now all the people who are currently believers in Jesus Christ, imagine the many. And it's the most inclusive place that there ever is, right? All these different cultures, languages that are spoken, people from all over the world, from all different times throughout all of history who believe in Jesus. Those are the many. We are the many if you believe in Jesus. You have a relationship with him. He has a final dwelling place for all who has a relationship with him. That's just a small perspective or small picture of what many looks like. Whatever we can imagine, his house is even bigger and better. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He's verifying the words that he says to be true. If it were not so, I would have told you. And and, and really what he's saying is I've been there and what I'm speaking to you is absolute truth. I've seen it. That's what Jesus is saying. I've seen it. I've seen my father's house. And there's nobody else in any religion or belief system or any leadership or political role that could tell you they've seen it. And they have a hope beyond this life apart from me. Jesus then, he says, as he goes on, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus goes to prepare the place. This, this, there's a planning involved. Jesus going is speaking of his death. He said it several times before. He is going, and where I go, you cannot follow, right, he says. And, and, and so this going that he keeps talking about is his death. The death that is coming, he's told them about it so many times. This is part of the reason that they're so troubled. And he says, I go and I plan that's where he that's what he's doing it's all part of the plan that that was the plan the redemption his death was part of the plan jesus knew it and jesus was committed to it and so he's going to prepare a place he's preparing this place after the plan and following the plan of going to the cross He's preparing the place, and it's not quite like fixer-upper with Chip and Joe, right? I mean, it's, that's not the, Jesus is going, he's got to go fix up the house for us. The Father's house needs no renovations, okay? It, but he's going to prepare, and there's a preparation that's taking place that's telling us there's still work that is happening. There's work that is happening in us, of course, But there's work here that Jesus is talking about. I go and I prepare. That preparation, he's preparing even himself for the cross. He's preparing the way. He is making the way for salvation. He's preparing the way for us to get to the Father's house. There was work to be done for salvation, and Jesus was preparing for it. He's going to die. He's going to bring salvation. He's going, he's preparing. He's going to prepare to welcome and receive his church through love by his blood. That's the preparation that's taking place. Verse three, we continue. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now remember he just said to them, he said it a couple times, where I'm going, you cannot follow yet. But then he says, where I am, there you may be also. So there's a hope here beyond. He's saying, look, you can't follow me into this death and resurrection because this is about salvation. You can't come with me along this this road to salvation. You can follow me, trust me, but you can't follow me unto this death. That's what he says in chapter 13. And now he says, but where I go, I'm gonna prepare a place, and because of the work that has taken place, the work of salvation, the death on the cross, the preparation for the way to the Father's house has taken place, it's all done, then you can be with me. You can be in the same place, the place that I told you you can't follow yet. It's not time yet. You can't go the way that I'm going but you will get there, you will find the way, and he's gonna tell them the way in this very passage. But what he's saying, if I go, I will come again. I love it when Jesus says, I will. When Jesus says, I will, we can be absolutely confident that it is going to happen. It's a promise, I will, it is a promise. We might make all sorts of promises in life, and we say, oh, I will do this, no doubt, I'm gonna follow through, I'm gonna do it, and we don't do it, right? I mean, there's many, many, how many millions of people over the years who've gotten divorced? I will fill in the blank in their wedding vows. Do they fulfill it? Along the way, somebody doesn't. Promises that are made, and we fall short of those promises, but Jesus makes a promises, I will come again. Absolute, it will happen. If I go, I will come again. It's going to happen because what he says is true. And what he's saying here is if I go, and really what he's saying is when I go, because you know it's gonna happen, I told you it's gonna happen, I will come again. Death is not the end for Jesus. Therefore, death is not the end for us through relationship with him. Jesus makes this promise. His resurrection will happen. Later in this chapter, he'll make another promise. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And then as he says here, I will receive you. This is even farther forward, the second coming of Christ. It will happen. In this verse and in this chapter together, he he will be resurrected promise, a guarantee. He will send the Holy Spirit, a promise, a guarantee, and he will receive us to himself. Looking forward to that second coming of Christ, we will be gathered. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. The receiving of the second coming of Christ. When Jesus says he will do something, it will happen. Jesus says, where I am, you will be also. We talked about how now this is the opportunity to be with Jesus, to follow him to the Father's house. Heaven is the focus. Heaven is the destination. We're passing through. We've talked so much about that because that's what Jesus was so much about. We've studied that through First and Second Peter on Wednesday nights. This is not our home. But our Father's house, heaven is the focus. The Father's house is the focus. And heaven, Jesus is all about heaven. and Heaven is all about Jesus, his presence. He said, look, where I'm going, you can be also. His presence is there. That's gonna make it pretty amazing, isn't it? Jesus is going. The Father is there. Jesus is there. The Spirit, the three in one, the Trinity, it's gonna make sense when we get there. Heaven is all about Jesus. It's all about relationship with him. That's how we know the destination. That's how we are going to get to the destination. It's about fellowship with Jesus and worshiping Jesus. It's a great place because he's going to prepare it And he prepares us as well. Verse four, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. The way. This is the first introduction of that phrase, of those words, the way. Jesus connects the dots of himself being the way. For the first time, he's giving this little introduction. uh, Where I go, you know, and the way, you know. This is new. This is a new statement. And everybody was no doubt scratching their heads. But Thomas, he's the one who actually spoke up about it. But Jesus speaks of this new revelation. It's new to them, explaining to them, not assuming that they understand, but giving them this new information to say, where I go, you know, and the way, you know. He's giving great hope, but they're all kind of like, I don't know what that means. Jesus is very importantly connecting the dots between the way, And the destination, because they have to be connected. If the Father's house is the destination, how do we get there? Jesus is is going to explain to them. He said, look, uh, where I'm going, you know the Father's house. And the way, you know. You already know it. He's making that proclamation, but they don't understand it yet. And he's not assuming that they understand. He's going to explain to them about it. These dots, though, between the way and the destination have to be connected. If we know the destination, we can follow the way. Or we can, we can yeah, we can follow the way. If we know the way, we can get to the destination. Imagine a, a GPS. You just say, hey, bring me there. Where? Right? Or you try to punch in, like, just... There's nothing to punch in. You have to punch in a destination in order to let the GPS lead you the way. Sometimes it leads you a crazy way, but (laughs) you have to put in the destination. It is essential or you will be lost. But imagine a GPS that just tells you the way without knowing where you're going. And and on top of it, has the the five-star accommodations all planned out and prepared for you. And all you have to do is just get in the car and say, go. And it brings you there. That's ridiculous. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, the world today is kind of interesting, the way this technology is working. But it can't do it. And let me tell you, if, the, if we get to that place where we keep trying to reach the power and the authority of who God is, we're gonna be humbled like the Tower of Babel. It's gonna keep happening. We advance in technology thinking we can be all powerful and we can, we can have cars that drive themselves, right? We can have you know, maybe GPS that could just tell us where to go and make our vacation plans and we're all set. Listen, listen. God is on the throne and he will humble us when we think we have power. But Jesus, he connects these dots and Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who's gone to prepare a place. And he's the only one who's been in the Father's house. So Thomas Verse five, we call him Doubting Thomas, but in reality, everybody was doubting. He's just the one who spoke up. He's honest, Thomas, right? Thomas is like, excuse me, Jesus, Um, I got a question about that. I need a little clarity, could you help us out? Because I don't get it. Where are you going? How could we know the way unless you tell us He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? If we don't know the destination, we can't figure out how to get there. There's no map that's going to lead us there. There's no GPS that's going to point us there, but we don't know where you're going. And all the other disciples are like, they're like nodding their head, like, oh, yes, of course, Jesus. Thomas is like, no, uh uh-uh. Hold on. I need help. (laughs) They do too. They just won't admit it. If we don't know the destination, how can we know the way? Thomas, like everybody else, was troubled in his heart. That trouble is a direct connection to fear. There's uncertainty and unrest and all these reasons why they are troubled. And Thomas is like, I'm freaking out over here. And now you're saying stuff that I don't understand. Everybody was in that place. Thomas, he brought the need to Jesus. Like everybody else, he was troubled, but he spoke honestly. Because he honestly had doubt, which they all would have. Because trouble often causes doubt. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been through trouble and that trouble has has challenged you to the point to say, I have doubts. Because we all do. Maybe you don't want to admit it, but we all have doubts. Like Thomas. Like the rest of the disciples. We go through trouble. We have doubt. But are we willing to admit it? It's a great starting point. Admitting that we have doubt, admitting that the trouble, the current trouble, has left us lost, brings us to greater understanding and a greater solution, which is Jesus. Jesus then makes very clear the solution to them. He tells them where I'm going, you know where I'm going, and the way you know. Thomas is like, No, we don't. Help us out. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. The way is the focus here. Because Jesus has been talking all about where he's going. He's been talking about the Father's house, he's been talking about heaven. And so now he's explaining to them, and they're saying, we, Thomas is like, We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. We get, Help us figure this out. He says, I am the way. So when he told them that they know the way, they now can understand. When Jesus says, it's me, follow me. And what he says here, very specifically, I am the way. There's no other translation to say, I am a way, which some religions would say that, oh no, this is. Uh, it really what it's saying is, I am a way. And much of the world would tell you this. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe specifically that verse is translated I am a way. It's not. I am the way. Not I am a way. Not even I'll show you the way. But follow me. Because I am the way. Give your life over. Believe, trust, fully trust in who Jesus is. As he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Fully put your trust in who Jesus is. And not only are your troubles going to be handled and under complete control, but you will also then have the way to the Father's house. He doesn't say, I am a way or I'll show you the way. He says, first of all, he says, I am. Another amazing I am statement of Jesus, a great statement of clarity, clarifying even more his identity as he reveals himself. That's what the gospels are all about Jesus being revealed. And he says, I am. Remember, guys, you've heard me say that before I am claiming to be fully God and now he says I am the way the only way it's a new conversation but then he goes on to say I am the way the truth and the life the truth and the life we've heard that before we've seen that before in John chapter 1 verse 14 if you're taking note says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and Truth. Jesus is full of truth because he's the fullness of truth. That's what John 1.14 tells us. He is the fullness of truth, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's already been established as truth. He speaks truth. He represents truth. And, and throughout his ministry, he, he represents truth. And all that he does is speaking truth. And remember, all these religious leaders are trying to silence the truth. And how are they trying to silence the truth? To kill Jesus, verifying that he, in fact, is the truth. The life, in John chapter one, again, this is the foundation, setting the foundation for the whole gospel of John. John chapter one, verse four, it says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, Speaking of Jesus once again, the foundation of this book, John chapter one, speaking all about Jesus. He, in him was life, in him was truth. He is the representation of those things. All life came from Jesus and it has been established and it has been demonstrated. John chapter 11, the resurrect, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he demonstrates that he, in fact, is the resurrection and the life as he calls Lazarus, who was dead four days out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes out. So these things have already been established, but Jesus saying now the way, he's pointing their perspective toward heaven, and he's saying, I am the way to get there. I am the way to the Father's house. And that, the, word, the word the way here is emphasized because of the following statement in which he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's about the way. That's what this whole message has been about in, in verses one through six. That's what Jesus is talking about, getting to the Father's house, where he's going, where he came from and where he's going. And there's opportunity for you to go there too. If you know Jesus, you know the way. You don't need the GPS. You don't need a map. Trust Jesus. You believe in God, believe also in me, he says. What he's saying, no one comes to the Father, specifying again where he's going to the Father, except through me, saying he is the only way to get there. It's not even like there's, you know, there's like different roads and it's just a detour. There's actually no other road, there is one road to the father it's jesus he is the road he is the way it's not like well if i if i go this way then that street might connect over there or okay i hit a dead end i'll turn around i'll try another or there's a detour that's not what it's about at all that's not the picture that jesus is painting he's saying no there are absolutely no other roads you can't pave you can't you can't pave a trail you can't pave a new road there is only one road and it's jesus that's it He brings an understanding here of a new covenant. He calls out all other religions, all other religious beliefs, and saying there is absolutely nothing that you can do to get to the Father except through relationship with me. He brings an understanding of this new covenant. It's no longer even about the temple and the worship in the temple. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. These words that Jesus speaks are very controversial, but would be pivotal to them understanding what ministry is all about and what the essentials are in ministry, pointing people to Jesus. As even Peter and John in the book of Acts are walking and there's the layman man who, who and they say to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we give to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. As the man wasn't asking to be healed, he was asking for money, he was poor. What we do have, we give to you. Because Jesus is the only way. Much of the world today would say, there are many ways, and that this verse is unfair it's not inclusive enough this is an exclusive verse we should just strike it from the bible no people don't believe the truth people need to see the truth there is only one way and we as christians by simply quoting john 14 6 would be called bigots By simply quoting John 14, 6, we're bigots. So is Christianity bigoted? No, in fact, it's the most inclusive thing there is because you only need to know and follow Jesus. Everything else tells you, well, you need to do this. All other religions, all other ways that the world would call them would tell you, well, if you need to do this, 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 there's a long list of things, a long list of things of that you need to do, rules that you have to follow, it's not worth it because there is no way. But through Jesus, there is. If Jesus isn't the only way, then he's not a way at all but he's truth, so it's verified. When Jesus is saying that no one comes to the Father except through me, really what he's saying is that anyone can come to the Father through me. You don't have to do all the things that you thought you had to do before, right? Remember the Levitical law. Remember the the old covenant all the things that you thought you had to do to try to find favor with God, it's not about that. It's just about following Jesus and walking with Jesus. So and as he says, he's the truth to verify this very statement and that he's the life because he brings eternal life that we would be in the Father's house. Jesus was absolute dogmatic in his approach, something that the world hates and would say, like I said, Christians are bigots, and the Bible is too exclusive because of verses like this. But I'll close with with this quote by David Guzik, who's coming here soon, in fact, but he says, but is Christianity bigoted? Certainly there are some who claim to be Christians who are, in fact, bigots, but biblical Christianity is the most pluralistic, tolerant, embracing of all of other cultures' religion on earth. Christianity is the one religion to embrace other cultures and has the most urgency to translate the scriptures into other languages. A Christian can keep their native language and culture and follow Jesus in the midst of it. An early criticism of Christianity was the observation that they would take anybody, slave or free, rich or poor, man or woman, Greek or barbarian. All were accepted. But on the common ground of the truth as revealed in Jesus Christ, to leave this common ground in Jesus is spiritual suicide for both now and eternity. Guys, troubled times are here but let not your heart be troubled. Trust in Jesus. Look forward, look upward, and know Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We can make absolute statements in our trust in Jesus because Jesus is absolute truth. Jesus is the way because he's the truth and the life. Let's pray. Jesus, truly we are amazed by you. We're amazed at what you have done. We are amazed at the work that you do and the words that you speak. This absolute truth We're thankful that we can stand on that truth. That we can trust in you and know that you never fail. We glorify you today. Today we get to partake in communion together. Before we do, I wanna give you an opportunity if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to enter in because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to heaven, Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that relationship, then you're not going to heaven. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's good news. Through relationship. through knowing Jesus, and through trusting in Jesus, through walking with Jesus, you can and will get to heaven, the Father's house. You will be in the presence of Jesus for all eternity, but you need that relationship. So if you don't have that relationship, and you want that relationship, would you simply pray this prayer? It's not about the prayer about the work of God in your life and transformation that's taking place as you put your trust in him. But you can say these words out of your heart. to Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I desire to live for you. Would you come into my life? change my life. In Jesus' name, amen.